Welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. We are a Catholic young adult ministry located in Kansas City with a mission to be the community that inspires and forms our generation to be saints. In today's episode, we will feature a young adult from our community who will share how they encountered Jesus and how they strive towards sainthood in their everyday life. Hopefully, this will encourage you in your pursuit of everyday holiness. Thanks for joining in on this episode of City on a Hill. Welcome back to another episode of the City on a Hill podcast, where we interview Catholic young adults in the Kansas City metro area to get their stories of faith. Welcome. Uh, I'm Father Andrew Mattingly, your host and director and chaplain of City on a Hill, and happy to be here today with my good friend Joe Ibarra. Joe, welcome. Thanks, Father. Looking forward to it. Yeah, great to have you on. And um, Joe, so before we get started, so I know you you have an interest in philosophy, and um, yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about how that how that got started. And yes, I went to Rockhurst University uh, here in town, mm-hmm. and originally started studying business in general, then moved to accounting. And about halfway through, I had a great friend of mine introduce me to philosophy. And everyone thought it was kind of funny that the accountant nice. uh, also studies philosophy, kind of a unique uh, combination. One's really in the weeds and one's very open-minded and big picture thinking. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was a great balance and they have logic in common. You know, that's kind of the the combination that the, uh, of the two. Mm-hmm. But I always say that uh, accounting prepared me for my job, but philosophy prepared me for my life. Boom. <laughs> wow. Well, it's funny you mentioned like math and philosophy. Actually, there's, I mean, there's a lot of philosophy that goes into into math, you know? Yeah. And uh, was it, Pyth- you know, Pythagoras, like uh, yes. well, one of those ancient Greek I think guys. Pythagoras, that, uh, who has a Pythagorean theorem, but a lot of those er- early guys were mainly philosophers that happened to do that happened math, to do math and science and yeah. 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 I've also heard, have you heard of the, what's it called? Kind of the, there's a ranking of the pureness of disciplines. It starts with mathematics. Hmm. That mathematics is like the purest form because it's like in nature. Hmm. And that physics is applied mathematics. It's uh-huh. like mathematics in our universe. Yeah. And then chemistry is just applied physics. And then it goes, I think, biology and then psychology sociology and i guess you could put maybe philosophy at the like at the hmm. end because it's the most like abstract but i kind of think of it maybe as a circle because after philosophy i think you go back to math because i think philosophy and math are really close <laughs> and i don't know if that makes any sense but everyone always says that philosophy is not practical and uh you know a very soft yeah subject but i'm like i don't know i think it's super practical yeah au contraire if, if you don't have your philosophical worldview or principles right you're you're gonna get a lot of practical stuff wrong (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna (laughs) you're gonna veer off course pretty yeah everyone's always like so what are you gonna do with philosophy i'm like i don't know like it'll change every decision i make of every day it's (laughs) it's only ethics the study of how good of a person you are other than that i'm not gonna use it very much other than like the meaning of human life (laughs) like i mean yeah, you're right. It's 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 not. Yeah, other than that, it's pretty useless. <laughs> yeah. but maybe that's just my opinion. I don't know. That's so great. I mean, classically, of course, the only 
discipline considered to be higher than that was theology, you know, like yeah. the study of God. And so, um, and philosophy was considered necessary, still is, you know, required for seminary education hmm. as ne- a necessary prerequisite to uh, the study of God. Yeah. So, I think it's also important to remember that philosophy is the love of wisdom. Yep. And wisdom, of course, takes, you know, many forms. So it's, oh, and uh, a PhD is a, you know, you're a, doctor of philosophy of something. So all PhDs mm. are philosophers by the very nature of their PhD. Yeah. A doc what would that literally be? A doctor of the love of wisdom of blank. Yes, exactly. Nice. Nice. So ha, everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's awesome. It took me pretty much all four years of my philosophical studies in seminary to come to enjoy it. Hmm. Um I don't know if that's because my teachers weren't able to I don't know convey it super well or convincingly or an excited manner but um, i do think that a lot of people say oh i had the worst philosophy class and i'm like i can definitely see where they could be pretty bad i think like the first step of philosophy should be like the wonder like if you've ever gone camping and looked at the stars you know like you ask the big questions i think that's where everyone should begin yeah because i think everyone has that in common you know what happens to you when you die what's out there yeah um i think like that's fun because everyone yeah asks those questions but i think usually they start with i don't know historical philosophy or like something that's either very abstract or just very i don't know yeah not personal that's that's great i mean like the original philosophers totally would have just began with wonder you Mm -hmm. know like why actually one of the professors i had who was one of the most kind of uh convincing hmm. that like i should be excited about philosophy um her question she said that got her into it and she had you know a doctorate in it um was why is there something rather than nothing yeah you know and she said good. like she was just just hounded by this question like in her in her 20s or whatever like why is why is there something <laughs> rather than nothing like why it's a, like, it's, it's a good question yeah. I took uh, one of the most abstract ones I took was called epistemology, the mm. study of knowledge, which mm-hmm. is like the most abstract. It's the study of studying, um, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. And I remember like the first day the professor was like, there are three questions of epistemology. It's like, uh, um, how do we know what we know? if we in fact can know <laughs> and everyone was like that's it i'm done <laughs> and i'm like maybe like not the best strategy to start with yeah the most abstract question you that's, could think of that's um, hilarious but i suck it out i'm not sure everyone else um was focused after that that's so funny that's so funny but such a critical topic for our modern day and age yep. you know like is it possible for my mind to have an accurate correlation to a really existing thing or does my mind just project yeah you know reality like those are pretty critical things that can determine the difference between like relativism or yes you know absolute truth and yeah yeah again you know not that important only changes everything (laughs) yeah that's right that's right um dude great well that's a good little little intro so uh (laughs) we'll just yeah launch right into maybe something more quote unquote practical, namely your life story. So um, tell us, yeah, just how the Lord has, has worked in your life from now up until, and you're tw- 24? 24. 24. So yeah, tell us what what the journey's been like. Absolutely. Um, well, I was born on, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I always like when people start with yeah when they were born 
In fact, I uh, call my fiance after work every day and I'm like, so what'd you do today? Well, I woke up. I'm like, yeah, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> like, what did, what did you actually do? But anyways, um, I grew up in the Northland, uh, north of the river, which some people joke is like the tundra. You know, you only <laughs> make the trek out there if you're going to the airport. But I grew up in the Northland. Uh, I'm the youngest of three. Mm -hmm. I have an older brother named Anthony, and then we have a sister in between us named Elena. And uh, my mom uh, largely stayed at home and raised us, and my dad um, made that possible by going to work every day. And uh, super thankful for them and uh, all the sacrifices they made. It's so true that you don't really think about it or realize it or appreciate it until older. So mm. I think now it's great that our family still is pretty close that so we get to mm. kind of uh, reap those rewards and kind of get to yeah. talk about that. Um, grew up Catholic, uh, was raised Catholic. I like to joke that my mom's family is from Sicily, Italy, and my dad's from Mexico. So mm. it's like, I don't know, two out of the top three most Catholic, yeah. you know, historically Catholic nations. Um, so Catholicism is in my DNA, more or less. Um, yeah. And we went to Mass every Sunday. That was um, a staple that was for sure going to happen. We'd pray before meals. Um, I say that was almost though the extent of it, it was mm. kind of just the consistency of weekend mass yep. and maybe some nightly prayers. My mom tells a, a good story though that, so I was the youngest and uh, when the other two were at school, I would be stuck running errands with my mom. And in order to get me to cooperate, uh, she would bribe me with McDonald's French fries. Dude. Love McDonald's French don't, fries. Don't they like uh, soak those in like sugar or something? I've heard that. Is that, is that uh, yeah. Don't know if it's true, but I believe it. Yep. Um, I've also heard that their Coca-Cola yeah. is sweeter than everybody else's Coca-Cola. I've heard. Well, I've heard that about, is it just McDonald's or is it like every fast food place? Like there's something in the... I don't know. I, I heard just McDonald's that there's like a unique, uh, I don't know, relationship between Coca-Cola and McDonald's. Oh, okay. <laughs> but either way, yeah. um, she would bribe me with French fries. And then she tells a story that uh, after a day full of errands, she would get, uh, reach back into the back seat and hand me my small fry. And when she got back <laughs> to facing forward, she saw in the rearview mirror me make the sign of the cross. Nice. And, and say grace before <laughs> eating my French fries. <laughs> So I think that depicts, you know, that I grew up Catholic. I knew the sign of the cross well. Um, but I would say um, that my faith journey is much more of a journey than like a particular point of conversion or mm -hmm. maybe a, a particular experience. Yep. Um, so, but I will say that along that journey, mm. um, there are definitely points, like if you could plot them on a chart, yeah. In which there's a big jump. Yeah. You know, there's a point of spiritual growth along the way. And I guess the theme I'd like to maybe convey during our conversation is that um, at the base of all those peaks mm -hmm. is a person or a group of people hmm. that I can almost attribute every major hmm. spiritual gain in my life to yeah. a particular person or a group of people, which is obviously yeah. a big Christian theme that, you know, God chooses to use people to do his work uh, mm -hmm. whenever possible. Yeah. Um, and I guess in that journey, the the first major point was in grade school, and uh, I became an altar server, which I was super excited about. Uh, number one, it helped pass the time at Mass a little bit faster. 
<laughs> Dude, I totally know what you mean. I was yeah, in ultra was, server. At yeah, the same sitting age, in the pews, yeah. it just goes on forever. But like now, I got a job. I got like things to do. Like it was really fun. And uh, you know, I got promoted from you know, the Sunday mass to funerals, and that's Ooh. really where you hit your stride because you can you can miss class, and you can get paid. And nice. a few times I got treated to lunch afterwards. Dude. Um, so that's like when, you know, I really hit my stride. <laughs> um, but it, it was really impactful because there was a group of about four or five of us guys who uh, were called to do mass for um, the funerals or like when the bishop came. And we called ourselves like the A-team. We thought we were really cool. Um, but it was a really unique uh, like time for me because I felt really felt connected to the mass. I felt mm. like I was participating. Yeah. I had a, a responsibility. And for the first time, I had a, a group of friends mm. that were really encouraging me in that way. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't thinking this at the time, but looking back, um, I think yeah. that was really inf- influential. Mm. And um, I will also say that I thought about becoming a priest, but it was probably more like... Um, that's a job I would do, or that's what I yeah. want to be when I grow up. I did, you know, yeah. definitely didn't understand the vocational weight of priesthood. But yeah. um, I just, I guess the main point is for the first time, I had a group of friends um, that were with me, and I felt like I had a real responsibility and a real role. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if, I don't know, if you can relate. Um, either in like your own, you know, altar serving career, or even like as a priest now, and like kind of how you view the altar servers. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, I will say that like in seminary, um, at least 50% of the guys in seminary um, would mention altar serving as like having played some Mm -hmm. significant role in their discernment, you know, like it's the first time they considered the possibility of the priesthood or or maybe they altar served all the way through the end of Mm -hmm. high school and it was always like a a big factor um yeah i never felt that way i served through third grade (laughs) um i served like second and third grade maybe and then we moved and uh or no i'm sorry third maybe like third through fifth or sixth grade but then we moved and i think by the time i hit that age where you you stop asking questions in class Mm because you're embarrassed i made the same decision about altar serving i was like eh, like i don't know this is like i'm i'm too i'm I'm too good for this. I'm above this, you you know? (laughs) So, so I never altar served again until seminary. And actually when when I got to seminary, I I was just terrified for like my first time serving. I was like, I was like 19. I was like, man, I'm going to screw this up. Like I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to, I don't know, invalidate the mass or something or whatever. So, (laughs) yeah. So like, I, so I think that's interesting that you said, you know, over half said that was, you know, a mm-hmm. pivotal point. If I was a priest, I would have like as many altar servers as possible. <laughs> like Sunday mass, you got like 20 kids up there. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I think it's such a, I don't know, pivotal first step. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, that was probably the first kind of hmm. big jump for me. And then um, in high school maybe was the next one. And I might also say that along this journey – it seems as if it's accelerating. So at first mm. it's kind of some, you know, distant points and then at, mm. at the end it kind of takes off. But um, mm. in high school, I had a theology teacher who uh, was very inspirational. 
I would say she was kind of the first person I really saw who was on fire for the Lord. Like yeah. she had this joy and this light um, that I was like, wow, like there's something different here. Yeah. And it was attractive in the sense that I was like, I want what you have. Like, hmm. that's interesting. But at the same time, it was kind of foreign. And I was like, well, maybe I'll stand back here and watch from afar. Because I, yeah. I don't really know what's yeah. going on. Yeah. Um, but it was really inspirational. And she introduced me to daily mass for the first time. And yeah. I went before uh, class started in the school chapel. Hmm. Again, kind of just like an increase of responsibility and like, hmm. you know, I'm doing this on my own. Yeah. Um, and it, actually a couple months ago, I reached out to her to tell her this. And I was yeah. like, this was really impactful. And I didn't know it at hmm. the time, but I feel like she really launched me um, hmm. on a path of living an intentional life for the Lord. Hmm. And I didn't know it at the time, but almost a decade later, I find myself having friends that were just like her when I met her huh. in high school. Wow. You know, like I have friends now that I'm like, wow, you know, I see the joy, I see the light, I see, yeah. you know, the intentionality, um, you know, words that I didn't even know then, like intentionality <laughs> yeah. and community. <laughs> but I was like, wow, you, you really had all that then. And I think very passively and indirectly, um, you, you know, set my mind and heart like on a path. And I told her that, and uh, she, you know, of course, was very appreciative. But um, yeah, just like looking back, I was like, I feel like some success now, and that like a decade later, I've kind of, I don't know, achieved the goal that I saw in her in hmm. high school. Um, so yeah, she was very pivotal. Yeah. Um, and by achieve the goal, you mean like sort of living with this intentionality yeah, and just kind of like absolutely, yeah. And uh, you you make a, a good point that in today's world, we don't have a lot of that joy and intentionality. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's not a good thing. But at least, you know, it makes when people do have it like that much more profound. Yeah. So like it's like a real yeah. tool that yeah. we have. It's pretty, I don't know, easy to do. Um, so I don't know what you think about that. But yeah, I think no, uh, we can we can use that. I don't know, much more than we think. No, it's true. I mean, to use an image or an analogy, I guess, when when uh, the daylight shifts into nighttime, you, you notice light more, you know? Wow. Like if somebody was, I don't know, standing on the street corner and at 3 p.m. Yeah. With, uh, this would be kind of weird, <laughs> like a torch or something, you know? <laughs> like, like uh you may drive by without even noticing it, yeah. but like if it's the middle of the night, obviously you're going to notice it even from a long way off. So like as the culture gets darker and uh, becomes more a culture of death and a culture that's not open to um, to truth and things of the sort, um, which has kind of been happening for a while, then uh, yeah, if, if you're if you're trying to shine with the love of God, then it's going to be certainly be more noticeable. Sure. So. Um, I totally, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Okay. And, and actually, that was the beginning of my own conversion was a high school religion teacher. So, and yeah, we share that in common. Yeah, they're the best. <laughs> um, um, I say maybe the next move is to high school. Um, my first couple years of high school, I mean, of, uh, sorry, college, Rockers University. I also went to Rockers High School, so Rockers mm. University mm. now. Um, 
my first two years, I was that kid that was like way too involved. And I thought I was, you know, doing the right thing. Um, I thought it was cool. And I was kind of, you know, maybe even like prideful that I had all, I was so Hmm. busy. I had all these things. Yeah. Um, but eventually I came to the realization that, uh, this was not sustainable mm. and I wasn't, I wasn't really doing anything well. I was doing mm. lots of things, but none well. Mm. And uh, I even had some friends who were like, Joe, we, we never see you. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? Like, I see everybody. I'm, I'm here and I'm there. But then I was like, maybe I'm everywhere, but nowhere. So I just really kind of had this, um, mm. realization that this was not the way to live. And I think, um, I don't know, even now outside of school, I get into ruts where I get super busy. I had to mm. remind myself that it's not necessarily a good thing. Mm. Um, and by the grace of God, I had that realization and I pretty much dropped um, everything mm. um, except for school. I stayed in school. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just decided to really focus on, you know, a couple of important things, uh, focus on a few important people and, um that junior year, uh, one of my great friends, his name is Zach, is the one who introduced me to philosophy. Hmm. He was like, Joe, you're a great guy. I think you'd really like this. Um, you know, go to the dean and, you know, see if it'll fit into your hmm. schedule. Hmm. And I really looked up to him. So I was like, yeah, if you do it, then I'm in. <laughs> um, and the first one of the first classes I took was called uh, Virtue and Character. Hmm. And it was by far the most influential, pivotal class wow. I've ever taken. Wow. And it wasn't like particularly, I don't know, I don't want to say interesting, but it, it was pretty simple. It yeah. was, we studied Aristotle mm-hmm. and then we studied Aquinas hmm. and then we finished with like Dante who essentially depicted, you know, their hmm. thoughts on virtue and character. Hmm. Um, but it was so profound Um like one of the most profound things was um, Aristotelian functionalism. And feel free to jump in um, if I'm going about this wrong. But in Aristotelian functionalism, essentially he says everything has an essence and everything's function is tied to that essence. Mm-hmm. And how you know something is a good thing is whether or not it performs its function well. Hmm. So like, um, I think silverware is a good example. Like the essence of a knife is, you know, a sharp handheld object to cut food. And its function is to do that. And a good knife is one that's sharp and does that. And a bad knife is maybe one that's dull. Yep. Or, you know, if a cup is supposed to hold water, a bad cup is a cup that has a hole in it, you know, Yeah. Um, which is kind of, uh, you know, boring at the silverware level. But when you <laughs> go to like, what is the essence and function of a human, then yeah. it becomes more exciting. Yeah. And for Aristotle, that's, you know, reason. That's what sets us apart. Um, that's what makes us unique. That's our essence. That's what makes us who we are. And to be a good human is a human that uses their reason well. Yeah. That's like a big part of his virtue ethics. Um, but Aquinas, you know, uh, figuratively speaking, baptized Aristotle. And now we're not just, you know, rational beings, but we're made in the likeness and image of God. So now our, our new essence or our new function is not just reason, but, you know, to love and serve and, you know, become divine in a sense. And, uh, essentially what clicked for me was for Aristotle, you know, to be happy, you have to do your function well. And so, yeah. you know, 
be rational, like be virtuous. Like if you do these things, like literally you'll be happier. I was like, wow, I'm, I want that. I can, <laughs> you know, that sounds pretty straightforward. Yeah. Then for Aquinas, it's like, if like literally, if you want to be happy, like you have to do these virtues and you have to like come to know and love God. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this makes so much sense. <laughs> like I am hooked. Yeah. Uh, I fell in love and uh, I was like, this is, this is it. And Augustine yeah. says, uh, all truth is one, which is really um, awesome too. And essentially, all truth is one when science says it's true and history says it's true and philosophy does, and they all overlap. And for me, as I was learning this philosophy, it, it mm. really cemented all of the mm. theology that was mm. taught to me. And so it just get really clicked. And... Um, it's kind of funny. I'm not a very emotional person. So I think it's interesting that I, you know, one of my biggest draws to the Lord is, you know, rationally and philosophically and yeah. logically, uh, which is kind of weird to say, but um, definitely true. And that class like really sparked that for me. Yeah. And uh, from there, you know, lots of other great ideas like um, Aristotle's virtue friendship, which we talk about and uh, took a class called uh, philosophy of religion, which is just jam packed with all the, <laughs> all the fun, good stuff. But, um, yeah, just, I guess the main point is I was introduced to philosophy mm. by this great friend of mine named yeah. Zach. And from that spurred, you know, just a new profound love interest and, you know, personal connection yeah. with God himself. Yeah. I'm so glad. You, yeah. That's part of your story just cause, uh, it makes me think of, I, I kind of want to frame a question here hmm. that's, um, it may take a minute or two to kind of frame it. Take your time. And then, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So like in sort of the quote unquote Catholic world, if you will, of the past 20 years, um, there's been kind of an interesting sort of, and by that I mean like Catholic blogosphere, hmm. like podcasts, books, stuff like that. There's been kind of this trend of, um, we realize that especially starting, unfortunately, in the 1970s as a result of a whole mixture of things, there was sort of a, a watered down catechesis that happened in the church regarding the faith. Um, but nonetheless, that there was some kind of catechesis that was happening, hmm. but apart from teaching people to have a real, like a personal relationship with the Lord. So um, it was it was dry, it was watered down, and it also lacked um, a personal relationship with the Lord. Seemingly like, I don't know, in the 90s, early 2000s, in sort of like, I guess, good parts of the mm. Catholic culture in the United States, there was sort of this awakening to like, we have all these Catholics who are, the common phrase was, catechized but not evangelized, right? They've sort of received, I don't know, a rudimentary education in the faith from Catholic schools, but they've never met Jesus. That was sort of like the the message. Um, however, like something that I think, and Bishop Barron is sort of a prime example of, of how that perspective went to an extreme with many like Catholic authors and bloggers and speakers and so on, they would sort of begin to emphasize so much this sort of like 
personal encounter, personal relationship, that they would begin to say like, oh, people don't leave the faith because they have a disagreement with church teaching. They leave the faith because whatever, they've never they've never been taught to like, I don't know, have a relationship with the Lord. And now that's true to a large extent. However, what I've found is that like, as human beings, like we're made for the truth. Like a part of us not only wants goodness and beauty, but we also want the truth. Like we have brains. <laughs> and so like a lot of people end up coming to like their first significant encounter with the Lord by discovering the truth, by by encountering the robustness of like Catholic teaching, its rootedness in philosophy and so on and so forth. Um, and so as always in history, the pendulum, you know, swings too far like okay there's poor catechesis the pendulum swings super far to the other extreme of like it's just about a personal encounter with jesus um and we sort of like not denigrate but i don't know kind of leave behind this sort of intellectual history that we have and kind of the the fact that that we're made for the truth and um because i meet tons of people who are like oh yeah i found my way into the catholic church because because of like personal study like i I studied philosophy or I started reading the catechism or whatever. And it just, it just filled my longing for truth. So anyhow, all of of that to say, um, my question is like, especially at your time, your, your time in college and your time since then in your conversations with friends, maybe who aren't Catholic or who are falling away or don't really practice their faith much or something. Um, what's been your experience in terms of the importance or the prevalence of this kind of like pursuit of answers to these like significant questions um, and how kind of like understanding from your own perspective, like understanding church teaching and philosophy and stuff, has that has that helped you to sort of open significant doors for people or like, I don't know, just. Yeah, great, uh, great question. A lot in there. Um, I guess maybe first of all, I I do kind of get a sense of what you're saying that the pendulum has swung in the op- in the other direction. In that, I've had lots of conversations with family or friends who aren't feeling so gung ho about like their Catholic faith, hmm. and about how it just kind of seems wishy washy, hmm. and uh, like I'll just open up with a few like basic I don't know philosophical questions hmm. and. Uh, like they won't be sure and like it's like here's what like the church thinks and they're like hmm. wow like it makes a lot of sense <laughs> like i like that and yeah. um yeah. i think one thing too is i don't know i think a lot of people go to mass on sunday and uh have a homily that i don't know doesn't speak to them and by that i just mean uh it's not very direct or concrete hmm. and i think that there's a lack of um of information because I think like that Hmm. is one of the at least for me personally but I think also in general like one of the biggest draws of our Catholic faith Hmm. is that it is so dense like it is this amazing web of truths that all somehow align yeah and I think I think people are missing that and I think when you just start with some fundamental questions and some fundamental points I think it is a big draw and I think for people Hmm. who are maybe a little bit younger that are still like asking a lot of questions and are much, maybe yeah. a little bit more uh, inquisitive um, that when you give them a good answer, yeah. like 
they'll be sold. They're like, where'd you get that? Yeah. And <laughs> where can I ask more? Yeah. Um, some good friends of mine uh, work with an individual who I forget which uh, like non-denomination they were from, but um, they had uh, like multiple pages worth of questions that they were hmm. kind of grappling with. Hmm. And they, you know, brought it to them and they're like, I have all these questions. I don't know where to go. And uh, I think they went to their like uh, parish priest and were like, hey, I don't know what to do with all this, but like, <laughs> can you help? And the person uh, went through uh, RCIA and was just like really, I don't know how to say, uh, enthralled by all mm. the information that was available. Yeah. So I will say it seems like it's something that has been lacking yeah. and something that people are really thirsting for. Um, I even, I'm not sure this is a good tactic or not, but a lot of times I will open up uh, theological faith discussions like with philosophy. I feel like it's a lot easier to start yeah. a conversation with. Yeah. Um, like, what do you think happens to you like when you die? That, <laughs> not that's my first question, but like that's not really, um, yeah. like, you know, religious in its essence. It's right. more just like, you know, this seems like an important thing and, you know, yeah. like we're having like a fun conversation, kind of like want to throw this out there. <laughs> like eventually that leads to yeah. like, you know, God and faith and yep. religion. And so I feel like logic and philosophy and kind yeah. of this more informational route yeah. um, is a great starting point that um, either A, people are missing or B, is a good place to start Um I know for me, like it's definitely how I'm wired. Yeah. So like it hit me yeah. harder than it might most. Mm-hmm. But at the very least, to your point, it should be maybe um, a larger component than it is at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it was, um, I don't know, some article Bishop Barron had written um, about a live event he had done on Reddit a couple years ago. And uh, he sort of categorized like, it, there was like I don't know how Reddit works, but like me either, honestly. Um, but <laughs> but but there were like you know thousands and thousands of like comments or or people kind of giving feedback and stuff, and he kind of categorized them into four sort of large chunks in terms of their primary like objections to the faith. And uh, Reddit, I guess, also is sort of a significantly higher percentage of men than women are on Reddit. I guess it's somewhat of a conversational debating platform maybe but um uh at least in some senses but anyhow i guess the 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 crux of his article was that like um we need to realize like how significant intellectual topics are in terms of why people accept or don't accept catholicism and that we have like we have all these riches that you're describing and we have to be able to like explain them well like that's uh saint jose maria who's you know, my favorite saint. <laughs> you talk, don't talk about talk, it much. Yeah, I talk about him every once in a while. He, uh, he would talk about like the apostolate of doctrine. That's actually like an apostolate to to help people understand how Catholicism makes sense. It's not just sort of some random, I don't know, set of things that, that don't fit together. <laughs> yeah. I even think like, right now there's lots of controversial topics out there um, like politically, especially that people are engaging in. Mm. And I think it's so important for us as Catholics to be not just like well-informed, but even like well-versed yeah. so that like we can speak up in a conversation 
and like, not that we have to win some debate, but just to be able to provide information when the opportunity comes or to defend a particular point. Totally. I feel like um, right now with as, <laughs> I don't know, as polarized as things are, it's actually more common than it usually is to talk about things like this, hmm. about faith and morals. Hmm. Um, hmm. So I'm trying to encourage like my own friends and family to like, have a say and like have uh, yeah. have some points so that when it does come up, you can, you know, defend the faith more or less. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. So you're in college and you're right in you, college. You, you fall in love with philosophy. Yeah, fell and, in love with philosophy, yeah. and um, I so as I said, one of the points that was also very influential was Aristotle's virtue friendship, mm. the friendship that is purely out of love and the good of the other. Yeah. And uh, uh, luckily, soon after I learned that, I got to experience it. Uh, a great friend of ours, uh, yeah. <laughs> Dalton Gozer. Who's, uh, who's been a guest already on the podcast. Right, that's right. That's yeah. right. Go uh, go view Dalton Gozer. <laughs> um, uh, in this kind of time of philosophy, as I was getting fed there, um, he was a great uh, friend and influence more on the uh, spiritual side mm. Um he told a great story uh, in that podcast about how we told each other we were going to go to daily mass every day for a <laughs> semester right. and like right. literally didn't go once. <laughs> <laughs> but we redeemed ourselves the next semester by nice. being super consistent. Nice. Um, so yeah, daily mass was really introduced to me in a, a profound way with Dalton. Um, devotion to St. Joseph Cupertino hmm. uh, also deserves a shout out to patrons <laughs> saint of test takers nice. who literally came through for us big time, multiple <laughs> times. Um, yeah, look up the prayer of St. Joseph Cupertino, no doubt. Um, and uh, most importantly, introduced me to the JP2 Center mm. in which I met Dane and Father Mattingly and the rest is history. No, um, but the JP2 Center was really profound. It was my first sense of community. Hmm. I love that word because it's so vague, but um, <laughs> it was so unique to be in a place where yeah. everyone you were surrounded by were actually focused on, you know, improving their characters and, mm. you know, becoming more involved with the sacraments. Mm -hmm. um, just like really mm -hmm. profound to be in a very formative part of your life yeah. and to be like in this environment that is like really directing you in the right way. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, Dalton and I are still great friends today. I'm here with you. Um, Dane's a great friend. So not only did I make just great friends out of it, but for the first time, or maybe, maybe not for the first time, but in, in the most profound way mm. was really set into like this new community of people around me who are pursuing the Lord wholeheartedly yeah and i think once you set foot in that realm um you're kind of in for life it's hard to um you know wiggle wiggle your way out yeah. um so dalton introduced me to you know a whole host of um you know devotions to saints and the mass and you know a pursuit of the lord um so yeah just another example of uh, a person that got placed in my life that just really, you know, yeah. took me from, you know, one level to the next. Yeah. That's awesome. And so you, you finished college a couple of years ago. Yes. And... Finished a couple of years ago. Yep. Um, 
maybe the the next best thing I'll move to was um, uh, about a year ago, uh, I was invited to join a Lenten prayer group. Hmm. And um, it was one of the best things I've ever been a part of. In hmm. fact, kind of still am. Um, but essentially, um, some good friends of ours, uh, Colin and Elizabeth Connor, more uh, uh, podcast That's people. Right. That's right. <laughs> um, from what I understand, fairly, um, not randomly, but um, through great discernment, I'm sure, but picked people who were not, who did not know each other, or in fact, did mm. not know Colin and Elizabeth themselves very well. Mm. Yeah. So like kind of this experiment of what they thought was a hodgepodge of couples. It was a, uh, a couples group. And almost a year later, like they are the couples in this group are some of my very best friends. Hmm. And um, for me and my now fiance, it was almost like the marriage prep before the marriage prep. Nice. Like so profound to have, yeah. you know, A1 quality couples to yep. read scripture with, to talk about our lives with. And I guess maybe one of the most fun things was the prayer group, like being able to talk about our faith and scripture really made the times we shared outside of it, hmm. playing tennis, playing card games, like so much more impactful because I was like, wow, like these are the people that know me on a deep on a deep level. Yeah. And then on the other side, it made the prayer group so amazing because like these were friends that I actually had things in common with. It's yeah. so like, it was just really this great, um, I don't know, system or, or process and uh, couldn't be more grateful. Hmm. It's been incredibly fruitful for my fiance and I, and I'm sure I speak on behalf of the group for everyone there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's probably like a good point to talk about. Like most of this story is like people who have played uh, a role in my life and yeah. who have been that point of spiritual growth for me. But one thing that I've definitely learned from this prayer group is Everyone has somebody or a moment or an experience where they really get filled up. Yeah. Um, and the call then is to do that for somebody else. Yeah. And so I'm really excited to look back on all of these people and experiences. I'm like, wow, like this has been so influential for me. Now it's like, who can I find? You know, yeah. who's yeah. who can I be that person for in my own life? Um, so that's, I guess, kind of the the uh the final step um and maybe i might add just a one more important thing oh yeah um i haven't talked yet about maybe the most important person uh, maybe because she's been along for the whole ride so doesn't get any particular instance um but my fiance killian i have a feeling will be the person that will be my next point of immense spiritual growth because we are engaged and getting married soon and through some very fun marriage prep classes recently um i i think we both have um learned a lot about the role we play in each other's spiritual life hmm. in like a very, you know, obviously profound way in being married as, you know, the entire goal itself yeah. of marriage. Um, but I think, you know, in this kind of accelerating uh, chart that I've been referring to, um, I am, I'm very excited for the next point, uh, which is set for later this year <laughs> yeah. of getting married to be um, kind of a, uh, um, 
a way for us to really like implement like for each other um, all these amazing experiences that we've gotten to have over the past few years. So um, I'll give her the the uh, I'll save the best for last and that she will be the the, the most profound. To yeah. Date. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And you guys have been together for some time now, yes right? we are so. i guess high school sweethearts is the term mm-hmm. um been together since high school um and for us yeah it's been a, i don't know a, a unique journey in that um our own fates you know really didn't play a an impactful role hmm. like immediately it was more yeah. kind of a you know uh put in over time yep. um it was kind of introduced over time um but again kind of like in the nature of ex- of acceleration yeah, I think we've made the most progress um, in our own relationship in the last month, year, you know. So um, that's been a journey, obviously, in and of itself. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I guess maybe, um, I don't know, one final kind of, since we've talked so much about philosophy, hmm. sort of a somewhat abstract question, to but to help you kind of think about the abstract and the concrete. You know, if you if you look ahead let's say the Lord blesses you guys with, you know, our, the world doesn't end or civil war doesn't happen <laughs> in our country or something crazy, you know? Um, but, but let's say maybe, I don't know, you guys are both about 50 years old to sort of project into the future. Um, what will you hope to have like certain goals? Maybe you will have hoped to accomplish by that point. Um, or where do you sort of, where do you guys kind of see yourself? Yeah. That's a that's a great question. Um, I'm trying to think about answering this with her in mind. She's not here to defend yeah. uh, <laughs> to defend this question. No, I'm just uh, joking. Um, and I guess maybe part of the reason why I joke as well is um, I'm a person who likes to uh, be fairly conservative, and uh, I like to have I like to plan things out and keep things. Uh, you know, pretty simple and mm-hmm. traditional. Um, but she's the adventurous one who always tells me to, um, you know, be open-minded. So I'll try to do something, you know, down the middle there. Nice. Um, but I think, I think for us, um, I'm really lucky to have someone who um, encourages me and the both of us for kind of some I'll call radical ideas. I think <laughs> uh, it's very easy to stick to. I don't know the norm and just to live the the life we think we're supposed to um but everything from you know homeschooling to uh to the way you you raise children to the the home and the lifestyle you live in to the the work that you do I think I'm really grateful because she's really opened my mind to having you know mm-hmm. The possibility of, you know, we we don't have to play it conservatively. We can, you know, live a life that we think is actually best and we can break away from, you know, maybe things that, uh, you know, we were told, you know, just do it this way. Yeah. It's like from like a faith perspective, I think we have a lot of freedom and confidence to uh, hmm. raise our children, you know, with the beliefs and values that we hold fast and we mm-hmm. get to, you know, live our live our lives without, um, you know, any particular, you know, rules. And I think, hmm. you know, at age 50, I can Im- imagine kids who uh, were educated under Aristotelian and 
optimistic <laughs> philosophy, but at the same time, you know, the fair amount of science and yeah. engineering. But um, yeah, I think just to uh, to have a family, um, I think, I guess maybe what I'm trying to say here is to build a life on first principles. And by that, I just mean yeah. start with the things that we think are most important yeah. and like implement those yeah. as opposed to trying to, you know, follow you know, a certain book. Yeah. Um, so I think everything from the education raising to our children to yeah. I think the the marriage between the two of us and yeah. you know, you know, not falling prey to the, you know, mundane, you know, getting yeah. used to each other. I think things like that I think yeah. are yeah. Uh, much more on our minds than uh, yeah. most. No, that's awesome. I think in general people who get married, um and whether this ends up bearing long-term fruit or not, but I encounter people are typically excited. You know, a phrase often uses "build a life together." Hmm. We're going to build a life together, and there's something there's something really exhilarating about that. Like the family is, you know, the the cell of society. It's the primordial society. It's sort of the the building block of culture, and like the opportunity to like um, actually foster and and build uh under god's assistance you know like a a living kind of society is like i don't know there's something yeah. kind of exhilarating i think about uh, i enjoy conversations about politics or government like how to run society yeah but those are always you know futile in the sense that it's only abstract because you know there's no way i'm going to be you know <laughs> the philosopher king yeah. and get yeah. to rule but when you have a family, it's like, wow, you have this little societal unit yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you can literally, you know, implement the the values and philosophies yeah. that you hold to be, you know, best and true. So in that sense, yeah, it is really like an interesting, you know, thought experiment to try to plan that out. Yeah. And um, I was just thinking that like in preparation for marriage, like I kind of have a lot of, I don't know about stress, m- more responsibility to really have some of these questions um, figured out. Because hmm. at this point, you know, any mistake I make is on me. I'm kind of just, you know, exploring. But, you know, when you get married, now you have someone that, you know, you're very accountable to. Like, yeah. I want to try to have these things figured out. And that's more of a practice for having children. Like, now the game really starts, yeah. you know. Don't mess that up, no. But yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think to your point about building, it is a really fun, um, exciting experiment to yeah. have a family, have a marriage, have a unit to where you get to essentially run society the way you think's best. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, obviously ordering that society towards its, its, uh, primary end Amen. philosophical terms, which is God, <laughs> God himself is, uh, it's a tall task, but also, yeah, it's exciting. So that's great, man. Well, any other, uh, Final words, words of wisdom, favorite quotes. Uh, Ooh, wasn't any, prepared for this. Anything you want to leave leave the listeners with? Hmm. Actually, uh, here's here's something maybe. Um, I shared this once in uh, a prayer group uh, meeting, and I got some good feedback, so maybe I'll share yeah, it here too. Great. I feel like um, on the uh, plot of the journey faith that I was referring to, I just talked about all the all the positive points that had big jumps mm. but of course there are um you know declines as well and i have i've always had this image in my mind about the just like an image of what 
our relationship with God looks like when we're going through those hmm. ups and downs. And essentially, if you could imagine uh, you sitting next to Christ, um, you guys are like both in a chair, um, arm to arm. Um, and when you have a, a good relationship, you're in a good spot, um, you can simply walk over there, give him a hug. You can see him face to face. You can hear him very well. There's no hmm. obstacle. But through our own faults and through our own decisions, sometimes we can build a brick wall between the two of us. And at one point, you know, it's just on the ground and maybe it makes it hard or maybe it's a little bit higher and you can't actually walk over there, but you can still see him. Yeah. At some point though, the the wall gets so tall that you can't hear or see Christ hmm. or you can even think of it kind of like as an igloo in which you can be so encased in this yeah. brick wall that you've lost all sight. But the important thing to remember is that like geographically, uh, like Christ has never moved from the original hmm. position. Huh. Like he's always right there and yeah. we always have the means to start tearing that wall back down. Yeah. And uh, that's just kind of like an image I have to, you know, mediate those ups and downs and to yeah. remember that one, uh, the brick wall is uh, largely due to our own, you know, faults yeah. and decisions. But two, that Christ's, yeah. never actually moves. Yeah. It just feels like we're distant. Yeah. That's a great image. That makes me think of an image um Saint Therese would use of uh you know when she was in a period of like spiritual desolation um which like you said usually and this is a long this is a big topic big can of worms to open up but usually is through our own fault uh, in a variety of ways but sometimes Spiritual desolation can come purely as a means that God chooses to like help us catapult forward in our love of Him. But um, but she uses the image that like when we're in that position and we feel like we can't see or hear Christ, it's like when the sun is covered by a thick layer of clouds. Um, you know the sun is still there, um, but it feels like it isn't. You know, like you can't see the sun, you don't feel it's the heat from its rays. And so it can, it can be easy to begin to doubt that the sun is still there behind the clouds, but you just have to continue making, making those acts of faith. And, um, sooner or later, you know, the clouds will part right. and, and the Lord will be there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful image. And, um, I think it's going to be uber important one in the years coming ahead when I, when I really do think that like, um, we could, we could, yeah, in our nation, we could be in for some serious trials in yep. terms of our faith and uh, to just know that the Lord hasn't abandoned us, even though things may get, <laughs> may get a little, a little tough. Agreed. Um, but uh, good, man. Well, thanks for coming on the uh, podcast. You're welcome. It was good to uh, see you and to catch up and yeah. to talk some, talk some good philosophy. Exactly. Hopefully not too much philosophy. I don't want to give everyone <laughs> the, the bad philosophy classic experience. Hopefully it was a good philosophy. Yeah, class. hopefully an inspiration for you to go out and uh, look at the stars and wonder, <laughs> exactly. wonder, wonder why there's something rather than nothing. That's all I'm asking for. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, good, man. Well, um, thank you all for listening as well. And uh, yeah, hope you tune in next time for another episode of the City on a Hill podcast. We will see you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the City on a Hill podcast. 
Please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes, and leave a review so others will come across our content. If City on a Hill has been a gift to you, consider joining our mission by making a monthly gift. Learn more at kansascityonahill.org slash donate. Be your best and strive to be a saint.